Hello, everyone. Welcome to Exploit It. I'm Alexis Chowski. I'm Kevin Daly. And for this bonus episode, we're talking about Dolomite Is My Name, the Netflix original from 2019, directed by Craig Brewer. And sometimes, y'all, you love him and I love him. Put your hands together. Dolomite is my name! Hey, you know, Auntie, I was thinking about putting out a comedy record. Comedy? You've been a singer, a shake dancer? Ha! It's real hard to break in. I do whatever it takes to get in. I come up with a new character. Dolomite is my name, and fucking up motherfuckers is my game! your hair you look like a pimp it's all pretend i just created a character <laughs> you true pull on that oh, oh that's a weed that's right whatever it takes i'm ready to do it i got to be totally outrageous it's filthy you've got a product here that you can't sell or promote all my life people been telling me no Brody. Sometimes our dreams just don't come true. A man slam a door in my face, I just find another door. I want the world to know I exist. You can write. This ain't funny. And it ain't no brothers in it either. If I get up in that light with my own movie, I could be everywhere all at once. Let's bring Dolomite to the screen. The actors we hire, you're a bit doughier than them. Doughier? That's Durban Martin. I'm offering you a role in my new motion picture. You think you could just walk up here and hire me? No. What if we let you direct? In storytelling, it's always best to write what you know. You ain't nothing to talk about my personal life. I deal with the nightlife, club owners and mobsters and lots of pimps and kung fu. <laughs> Do you know karate? No, but I'm a fast learner. I can learn how to chop me a motherfucker. Action. Give it to me. Put your weight on it. <laughs> Pretending like he could be a sex machine. What planet is this cat on? Damn! This thing flops, you're going to be working for free for the rest of your life. I'm so grateful for what you did for me. Because I never seen nobody that looks like me. Oh, yeah! Up there on that big screen. God damn, Dolomite. Great God in heaven, you know I Cut. Was it good as shave? This movie, um, first thing I'm going to say, amazing cast. Yep. Um, and we get to that right off the bat with Eddie Murphy has Rudy Ray Moore. And he is, looks exactly like, like Everything like the how he speaks and his mannerisms and stuff. Yep. So so good. In fact, there's scenes in this movie where it's actually just Rudy Raymore footage. <laughs> and it's hard to tell the difference. I yeah, mean, Eddie Murphy embodies this role. Obviously, a big fan. This is a there's a lot of care goes into this performance. I was to say a reminder that Eddie Murphy can, in fact, be an amazing actor and comedian at the same time. Yes, and that's the one thing I said is cause this is Oscar nominee Eddie Murphy, but the humor is more of Eddie Murphy raw. Yeah. So it's the best of both worlds of Eddie Murphy. Yeah, it's so good. He's so good. He's so good in this. 
And it starts, and he's trying to get this DJ, played by Snoop Dogg, yep. to play his records. And Snoop Dogg looks and acts his age. You can see his hair is gray and stuff. Snoop Dogg's in his 50s now, I think. Yeah, he's not a young man anymore. And he even says that. He, he tells Dolomite, he's like, look, we're old. We missed our chance, man. Yep. And he's trying to play a song called The Buggy Ride, and then it's like, Ring-a-ling-ding or something. Yeah. And he's like, ah, play the hits, man. We're talking about Marvin Gaye. And Snoop Dogg talking about how good Marvin Gaye is. is just amazing. But it's interesting because I bet you Snoop Dogg actually feels that way about Marvin Gaye. Yeah. I think Snoop knows his, his knows the musical roots. He does. Um, And he also respects Rudy Ray Moore a lot. In fact, he has paid homage to him in his songs before. And he talks about, like, we're both, you know, past our prime and says, sometimes our dreams don't come true. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, even though it did for you people. <laughs> Eddie Murphy <laughs> and Snoop Dogg have lived a life. But. Yeah. They had hard times, though, but they, they found their they found their place for sure. And we see that Rudy Ray Moore is the assistant manager at a record store called Dolphins Records. And our opening credits are played over the song Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself by Sly and the Family Stone. Yeah. Which I've heard that song a million times, but I never really saw it spelled out until the subtitles. And I'm like, what are these like YouTube algorithm subtitles? But no, that's actually how that song is spelled. Yeah, I thought the per- I thought when I was watching it, I'm like, wow, the subtitles are way off. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm like, for all the times that I've heard this song, it's a very recognizable song. I never knew that it was all spelled phonetically like that. For letting me be myself. And we see that this movie has absolutely nailed the look of 1970s L.A. Yeah. Um, The set design and production here is amazing. This is not the quality of movie we do on this show. No, no, this is an actual, let's just say this now, this is an actual high quality, like, award-nominated film. We're doing it because it's about the movie we just watched. Yeah, it's it's exploitation-adjacent that it's about Dolomite. Yeah, it'd be like if we did The Room and then covered The Disaster Art. Yeah. <laughs> so. And so, but I said before, this is basically Blaxploitation's version of The Disaster Artist, and it's just as good. It is. And so we get that Eddie Murphy works at a club, and he's the, the MC. And he's trying to do his stand-up bit, but these are, like, daddy daycare jokes that fall flat. Yeah, they're not very good. And he's asking the club owner if he can have more time, who's like, no, no, nobody wants to see you, you're just the MC. And we hear him mutter, you rat soup eating motherfucker. (laughs) I would like to point out, back to things from letting me be myself, that is the title of his biography from 2022, his author's biography. Huh. That's probably why they chose to play the song. Actually, that came out after, but I wonder if it was in production at the time. Or if it meant something to him. But that was the title of the biography. Well, Sly and the Family Stone, a very significant musical group. Of course. We've all heard their big hits. But we meet Ben Taylor, played by Craig Robinson, as the, the musician at the club. He, I mean, he does. He talks a little bit. He's trying to get his like foot in the door with the club, right? Yeah, and he's trying to explain that he's the total entertainment experience. He can sing and dance and do all these things. And the club owner's like, 
vaudeville is dead. <laughs> this isn't the 1950s. Yeah. And then we get the next day at the record shop, his assistant, whose name I forgot, even though he's in the movie a lot, but he's playing this this comedy record where somebody, it's basically they're narrating a a horse race, but the horses are named like Anna's ass and my dick. Yeah. And it's like, Anna's ass has been scratched. Red, fo- red Fox, one of the... It's a Red Fox bit, yeah. Yeah. The... My dick is right up in, on Anna's ass. Red Fo- yeah, one of the progenitors of, like, raunchy comedy. And Rudy Ray Moore, he's not too impressed. He's like, he's just being vulgar to be vulgar. It's not that impressive. And that's when Rico comes into the shop. Ah, uh, good old Rico. Rico's this homeless man, and... You know, they argue for because the man smells like urine and he's touching the doorknob. Yeah, uh, they call him Tony, but his, his, the character name is Theodore Tony. It's Titus Burgess, who I love. Oh, Tony. Okay. Tony. Yeah. I, I like his. Yeah, like his. I love Titus Burgess. He's so funny. Yeah. Well, he's basically Rudy Raymore's like sidekick the whole yeah. movie. Yeah. And Rico comes into the shop announcing that he is he's not a hobo. He's a repository of Afro-American folklore. He's not wrong. And he's doing these rhymes, which would eventually become Rudy Rudy Raymore's bit. He's like, let me tell you about a bad motherfucker named Dolomite and the signifying monkey. And that's when, you know, we have after the club that night, Dolomite and them, they're all having dinner with Ben Taylor, the musician. And Rudy Ray Moore is like, what if we took all those slave jokes and, like, actually just, you know, they're just taken out of that hobo culture, refine them, and make it an actual bit? And nobody is really on board with that. Yeah, this, I, I think they were concerned about, like, how oh, white people aren't going to like it. Yeah, that white people aren't going to like it at all. And he's like, you know what? I always have the morning after in my back pocket. In oh, case, yeah, because just in case there's white people. Yeah, he can sing the theme from the Poseidon Adventure, right. and he does sing it there. You know, there's got to be a morning after. And Dol- uh, Rudy Raymore, he's not happy, and he's storming out of the club. They're like, "Man, what's your problem?" He's like, "How'd my life get so damn small? Like, I, I came out here wanting to make it big, and I just work at this fucking record store, and that's it." Yeah, he wanted to be Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. Not realizing that that era kind of had passed, probably. And so he's walking home, and he passes a bunch of homeless men, and he's like, hey, have you seen Rico? He's he's a bald, he's a toothless wino. And all the toothless winos are like, you mean like us? It's like, yeah, not very descriptive. And so he does find Rico, and he's he just wants to record them all doing their, their shtick and telling their jokes. So he's just handed out a bunch of money to these guys to keep telling stories, essentially. Yeah. And he says, I want to hear from all the liquor store wise men. That's right. And so he takes all these recordings and he turns them into an act. It modifies it when it, the punchline would be funnier. And Yeah, he's up there talking about, I fucked an elephant. I fucked an elephant. I fucked King Kong's mother. Yeah, he's, he's tweaking these stories to be more effective. I don't know how to describe it, but he's, he's adding his own spit on these things. Yep, he, working. He's actually giving them the work up. Writing them how a, a writer would. You know, he's being good about it. 
So he goes to the club and he's dressed as a pimp. He's got a, a wig on. Yep. And his boss isn't impressed at first. And then he goes up on stage and he starts his bit. You know, the Rudy Ray Moore. He starts the signifying monkey bit that's we saw in yep. Dolomite. And the uh, drummer on stage still does the badumptis. Yeah. To where Rudy Ray Moore stops and turns around. He's like, don't give me that buddy Hackett shit. Put your weight on it. And that phrase, put your weight on it, that is a Rudy Ray Moore phase. Because I told you I'd seen Disco Godfather before. That yeah. is almost every other line in that movie. It's put your weight on it. <laughs> put your weight on it. <laughs> and you hear it quite a lot in this movie, too. But he goes up and he does the whole signifying monkey bit, and it's a it's a hit. Everyone yeah. loves it. Yeah, it just kills. Everybody in the whole club is completely, completely rolling in their seat. Way down in the jungle deep, the lion stepped on the signified monkey's feet. The monkey said, motherfucker, can't you see? You standing on my goddamn feet. <laughs> the lion said, I ain't heard a word you said. If you say three more, I'll jump off on your motherfucking head. Hey, man, don't give me that buddy hacking shit. Make that shit swing. Put your weight on. So he goes to his aunt to try and get money <laughs> to make a, a comedy record. And this scene's great. There's a lot of great line one-liners in this. Like, she asks him about 
you know, do you ever think about home in Arkansas? He's like, no, every time I think about back home, I think, fuck back home. That's right. And he's like, I'm going to make a, a comedy record. Oh, like that cute little Bill Cosby talking right, this, about families. And this did come out in 2019, I would like to point out. Yeah, so Bill this Cosby. well after. We, we are well aware at this point that Bill Cosby is a colossal asshat. Yeah. And uh, so the joke is funnier in the context of knowing that we know what the, the uh, characters don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, not that cute little Bill Cosby. Well, he, he didn't stay that cute. Not that cute. And um, so she's like, I don't got any money for you. And he's like, but didn't you get all that money from when you fell off the bus? <laughs> yeah, the $250. That's right. But he does beg her for the money, and I guess she gives it to him, because the next scene is that they're setting up a record-recording party. Yeah, he does a live performance in his, like, living room and sets up, a, like, a like a club. Yeah, and his little sidekick is, like, Fedco Gin. I didn't even know they sold alcohol, which Fedco, oh, yeah. I barely We're remember. Going. We're not going for flavor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fedco was like this discount store that existed mostly in Southern California back in the 70s and early 80s. Yeah, I, I don't recall that at all. I was born in 83. It probably was gone by the time I was born. I remember it once because my mom bought a bunch of jeans from there that f- fell apart to the very first time she watched them. And she went down there and just carried out all over the place. <laughs> I mean, that is frustrating. <laughs> but... He does his record, and it's a hit. Uh, but, he, you know, with, with the audience. He tries to go yeah, to a record producer to try and get them to pick up the record. And they're like, it's filthy. You can't you can't put this out. And he tries, well, there's other filthy comedians. He's like, yeah, but you're filthy in a different direction. And he puts this, this line that is like, you can call a guy a cocksucker, but you can't say that he sucks cocks. Do you get the distinction? <laughs> And so he leaves all there angry. His buddy's like, what happened? He's like, ah, oh, we just ended up in a semantic argument about cocksucking. That's true. That is. George Carlin has a whole bit about that. He does. Yeah, it's, um, it's part of his words Word you can't, can't say. say. You, can, you can prick your finger, but you can't finger your prick. <laughs> but he goes out and he just like, we're going to release this record on our own. And it becomes this indie underground hit. That he's selling out of the trunk of his car. It's getting passed around in groups, you know, and it's becoming well known. He gets picked up by the record label again. Yeah. They're like, yeah, hey, yeah, I'm sorry we passed you up. And it's the the Body Brothers is the name of the these producers that pick him up to make his record a hit and actually put it out. And that record is eat out more often. It's, I love it. And uh, the album cover. Mm-hmm. Or it's just like they're naked and she, he's holding the bowl of fruit above her <laughs> chunk. It's so good. And then he goes to Mississippi. You know, he goes on like a, a whole tour through the south. And he goes to Mississippi. He's like, the only place where ducks fly upside down because it ain't even more shitting on. <laughs> that made me laugh, yeah. And that's where he meets... Uh, Lady B, because he sees this this woman in a house dress go beat the shit out of this guy. 
in the club. And so he goes up and he's like, you're, you're a pretty remarkable woman, you know? We should do a stage show together, which they do. I would like to point out that uh, Seven Words You Can't Say in Television was released, uh, that, that bit came out in 1972, so. About the same time he's doing this then. Yep. Mm-hmm. So this is just starting to be okay. I mean, okay, I use it very loosely. It's starting to be acceptable in some circles to do this kind of comedy. Yeah. And, um, so he's on tour, he's doing good, but he wants more. And so him and his buddies, they, they go out to see a movie. And they're like, let's go see Blackenstein. And he, Rudy Raymore's like, oh, I want to see this movie front page. I heard it's pretty funny. And that's like a Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau comedy. Yeah. And they go and see this movie. And it's not their type of movie. They, they, they're, you know, the, the white audience is having a grand time with it. This is the whitest shit. This is the whitest shit you can possibly imagine. Yeah. And, and I just, like Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau, but this one, just, I haven't seen the movie, but just the clips from that you hear, and it's like, wow, this is terrible. Yeah, this is, this is 70s white people movie. Yeah. But he's inspired because everybody was into this movie. And that that camera up there, that light is what he talks about. And so he decides we're going to make a movie, and he goes to AIP, American International Pictures, to pitch his movie. And it's going to have all this kung fu and sex and guns. And he's like, oh, no, we do a different black exploitation picture here now. Um, AIP, by the way, did all of the uh, big exploit, black exploitation and exploitation films we'll see on here, when we, especially when we get to the women in prison films. Yes, a different kind of classy, classy movies, of course. Yeah. We're doing this movie that's called Cornbread Earl and Me, and it's about a kid from the ghetto who's the first of his family to go to college. Doesn't that warm your heart? Pretty many more. It's like, nobody wants to see that shit. Which I, nowadays, that's a sure. lifetime movie that he's yeah, pitching. That's, that's just white people shit again. That's the blind side. Yeah, it's literally just... Yeah. Sandra Bullock like I gotta take care of the black football player. Yeah. And Which I mean to be fair, the blind side is based on an actual true story, but like yeah, that's 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 movies for white people with black characters in it to make black white people feel better about their guilt. Yeah. Um the very same thing Get Out is about that Get Out directly comments about it. I have not seen Get Out. I've heard oh, you'll need to see that movie. Because, well, directed by Jordan Peele, known for Key and Peele, because coming up we have Keegan-Michael Key as Jerry Jones. Right. Looking quite a bit like Jerry Jones. Oh, he, he nails the, this visually. Um, yeah. But right before that, we get Rudy Raymore. He's not undaunted by the fact that AIP turned him down. And he's like, we're going to make this movie. You know, we're, we'll find a way. We're going to make it. it. Yeah, fuck it. We're doing it ourselves. And he has some good lines here. He's like, I willed myself into being. Like, I created this just out of nothing. You know, we can do it again. And he's determined. He goes, I want the world to know I exist. And I'm like, yeah. Wonderful theme, theming going on here. And that's, he goes to see this play that's written by Jerry Jones. And the play, I don't know what the play is called, but it basically has like 
somebody died of a drug overdose. It's very much about black urban life. And it's a they drama. Want I think they want revenge and you know it, it's kind of like coffee. It kind of has that coffee vibe mm-hmm. too. It's very like a lot about that urban black urban experience in the 1970s, which was not always very good. And so Rudy Ray Moore goes up and he's like, "Hey, hey, let's go. I want you to write this movie. You know, here's Dolomite and everything about him." And Jerry Jones is like, well, yeah, I, but my work has to inform as well as entertain. And he's like, well, yeah, well, yeah, you can do that, which he he wants to, and he kind of does. I mean, we talked a little bit about that in uh, the Dolomite episode proper. There's there is that you know commentary on you know white corruption and the and the drugs and violence in the inner cities and stuff like that. But it's it does end up being kind of set dressing, so it, it's there, but not at the forefront. And we're gonna stop for commercial break real quick. Well, not a commercial break, a break. <laughs> I don't know when that phrase "black exploitation" got coined, but I know that period for us was like that. That's when we were finally getting to see us on the screen. That was yes, a sir. big part of it. And the movies, the the quality of the movies is because the budgets were really low. So, you know, but we were seeing black stories and black actors and and black actresses. Yeah, all of of cast members. So working together. As speaking, you don't have those days anymore. We we didn't. We wasn't feeling exploited when we were going to see these movies. We wasn't sitting in the movies going, this is a damn shame how they (laughs) making us look. We was just so happy to be up there. I don't know who started it. that our culture was being exploited on the screen. You know, that's, we never looked at it like that. Something that I think I learned working with Eddie is, for, the, for those of us who have an improvisational background, people who are from the Upright Citizen Brigade or Second City or the Groundlings, but Eddie Murphy is very surgical about the way he improvises. Some people improvise and they just go crazy and the green light is here. But when Eddie improvises, he improvises right here. No, I'm gonna make. I, can't, I, don't, yeah, I, don't, I don't know if you're thinking about it. Maybe you're not calculating it. Yeah, I'm not aware. But, but <laughs> so then that's just genius. <laughs> because this, then that's just genius because you seem to only be improvising what the scene needs or what would enhance the scene. It's fun to screw around and have fun and make up stories and all this stuff. But what could we, what could we actually use that's not gonna end up on the cutting room floor? And that was always what was coming out of your mouth. That's fly. You know, I learned on this thing that uh, if it's a good idea, eventually it will will have its day. When Rudy was alive, we talked about doing this movie, and it was something that for years and years was just in the background, just, you know, waiting for this moment. Actually, you know, I auditioned for coming to America, and I remember being so sad, because I really wanted to be in the movie, I wanted to work with him, and I was really like contemplating what my purpose in life was, <laughs> after losing that to Eric LaSalle. <laughs> it got you, man. It really did, it got man. You. Our look was too close to it, right. and you actually look more African than me. So I was been talking about I didn't know none of that, man. That would have healed me. That would have healed me. I was in the bathroom. Why am I even doing this, man? 
Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to quit. It had I'm to not, do with tights. They're not going to break me down, man. They're not going to break me down. And it's gone full circle because now he's in the, the coming to America that we're doing. He's like the playing the, the general Izzy, the villain, and crushing it. Crushing nah, it. Nah, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Eric. Eric is too light-skinned to play that. That's right. That's right. Where's your Jerry Curl now? <laughs> you ain't the type, eh? You win, Wes. That's right, man. That's right. Hang in there. You know what I'm saying? I think we all have to, don't we? I mean... Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, that, yeah, that's a constant, you know, yeah, if you're an actor. Yeah, that's part of the whole thing. It's always a hustle. Yep. There's some hustle involved. No matter what stage you get to or however big you get, there's always some hustle in it. The only thing I ever auditioned for was uh, Saturday Night Live. So only, I'm, I think I'm the only actor who could say I only had one audition. Wow. It's always been a hustle, no matter how big I've been or no matter what's going on or how hot you are, you still got to hustle your shit. Never, it never stops being part of it. Well, it's kind of weird, though, right? Because there is a certain part of our thinking that, like, makes us comfortable with suffering and embarrassment mm -hmm. and being ridiculed. Putting ourselves out there yeah, and being vulnerable. We, 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 we go for it every day, <laughs> over and over and, and you, over and again. Eddie did, and Eddie, you did, too. I mean, <laughs> you, had, you were uh, doing stand-up for years before you auditioned for Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I started doing stand-up, maybe not years, three, three years three before years, three years. Yeah. And we're back. So Jerry Jones and Rudy Ray Moore, oh, I'm just going to say Rudy. Saying his whole name every time is becoming a mouthful. It is a, it is a long name. So Rudy and Jerry, they're writing the script, and he's running off all the things he wants in it. He's like, there's going to be prostitutes and karate, and there's an exorcism. People love that shit. Eric's like, an exorcism, really? He's like, oh, we'll save that for for the next movie. Yeah. Which is Petey Whitestraw, the devil's son-in-law, where the character that Rudy plays, Petey Whitestraw, is married to the devil's daughter. This you sounds know. like a fun movie. Oh, it is a fun movie. I, I, I'm glad that, uh, that Rudy shelved that idea, tabled it for, for a future movie, because that would not have fit very well into this. As fun and chaotic and crazy as Dolomite was, The Exorcism probably would have been a bit much. Yeah. Which is weird he brings that up because there's a lot of exorcism in Afro-American films. Not necessarily American horror films, but like films from Uganda and stuff. Those things are so heavily steeped in religion and exorcisms. That's interesting that from Africa proper, like, I definitely would have thought from, given, like, a lot of the Baptist, you know, Southern... Yeah, it had religion, a like, would huge have that influence it, on their culture, so when you see Nollywood films, which are the films from Uganda and stuff, so many of them are about exorcisms and demon possessions that it's so steeped in Catholicism and baptism. And... That's interesting. Is uh, Uganda have a large Christian population where, as a result of colonialism, was that something that was forced on them? Well, Uganda, Nigeria, and all of them, they have a huge, very, I mean, there is a large colonial Christian population, you know, and so Christianity is a large part of them because of colonialism. I mean, it seeped through everything. It's hard to view. But there's so many different religions and beliefs and languages going on. That's why there's so much strife throughout Africa, because there's just so varied. 
All I can think of is Book of Mormon, though. Yeah. Um, but they start casting their movie, and they go to, like, a strip club trying to cast dancers who's like, you fucking porn people! It's like, no, no, we're not making a porn! And at the strip clubs where they meet Derville Martin, who is played by Wesley Snipes, who does a fucking amazing job in this role. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Have you ever seen Wesley Snipes play a character like this? Never. Um, this is not Blade or Demolition Man or anything. This is Wesley Snipes playing, like, some artistic character actor that's for comedy. A little effeminate, a little too posh, thinks he's too good for everything. He's doing a fake French accent every now and again. Reminds me of, um... Uh, Ben Kingsley's Mandarin character from... Oh, very much. From, uh, Iron Man 3, and then from, uh, uh Shang-Chi. And that, that character. And it's, he's, I'm like, Wesley Snipes actually might do, be giving the best performance in this. Oh, just because does. it's so off-type for him. And he, um, and he's, like, bragging about, like, I've worked with Polanski. They're like, yeah, you were the elevator operator in Rosemary's Baby. Which kind of stings for him. Yeah. Because that character is in, like, two scenes and has one line. (laughs) But they get him on board as long as he can direct. So he's going to play Willie Green and he's going to direct the movie. Rudy goes to the record producers, the Bodie Brothers, who all look like Crispin Glover. (laughs) <laughs> Every single one of them looks like Crispin Glover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. To ask them for the money he needs to make this movie. You know, it's like $30,000. And they're like, we'll give it to you, but if you don't pay it back, we basically own you. You're risking all of your rights here. It's a big gamble that you're going to do this. He's like, I'm going to bet on myself. And they make a line about, you know, you're making a movie for just the people in the same five blocks of L.A. And he says, well, every city in America has those same five blocks. It's true. And so they're making the movie now, and they need a location, so they clear out this Dunbar Hotel, which was apparently back in the day a, a very classy place. Duke Ellington and Ella Fitzgerald all played there, but now it's just a, a den of junkies and hobos. Yeah, it's a, it's a drug den now. And... Rudy explains the deal that he's made. He's like, well, we we can have this place for free as long as we clean it and clear out all the junkies. And I'm going to live here now because, you know, he's gone so into debt to make this movie that he now has to live in the hotel. And they manage to clear it all out. And so Jerry gets them a crew from USC. What was I going to say? Oh, I'm looking at the Dunbar Hotel. Um, Yeah, it was an actual hotel for the jazz scene. Duke Ellington, Cap Calloway, Billy Holiday, Louis Armstrong, Count Basie, uh, W.E. Dubois stayed there, oh. Charles. Um, and then as of now, it was renovated in 2010. This is now part of a larger residential community called Dunbar Village. Oh, so it's been gentrified. <laughs> yes. Yay? At least it's still there. So Jerry pulls in for their crew and their DP and everything, bunch of students from USC. And one of them is my crush, Cody Smith-McPhee, who plays oh. Nick von Sternberg. Oh, I love that guy. Ever since I saw Power of the Dog, it was like, oh, I love him. 
I have this note here with like little hearts next to it. Oh, that's very that's very wholesome. Um, he's a very stressed DP because he's like, this isn't like we've learned in film school. This isn't a real set. Nope. How am I going to do lighting with mirrors on the ceiling? Some gorilla filmography here. But he makes it work, you know? Yeah. And they start filming the movie, and they do the karate scene outside, the one where um, Dolomite's arrested, the flashback. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the karate looks so terrible. This is like Eddie Murphy and fake purse ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> the m- movie in Bowfinger. It's that level the of Bowfinger, karate. yeah. It's yeah. that level of karate. I actually really like Bowfinger. But... And Derville Martin, who's drinking screwdrivers, he's just pouring a bottle of vodka into his orange juice and drinking. He hates doing this. Is there any... Is there any angle we can shoot that it looks like he's actually hitting him? There is no such angle. There is no such angle. All right. Roll it. Yep. That, that was perfect. Okay, next scene. And they're shooting the opening with the warden. It's Queen Bee's first day on set. And, you know, well, we know the scene from Dolomite. It just plays out the exact same. Only once it's done, Dolomite turns around and goes like, God damn, this is great! <laughs> he's super excited about it. Yeah, he's so excited. He's so into this and getting other people motivated. Derville, meanwhile, is like, what planet is this cat on? That's right. And we get a whole filmmaking montage set to the Dolomite theme. Um, where they're, you know, shooting the car chase and everything. You know, much to Derville's chagrin when he's like, nobody told me there'd be splashing puddles. <laughs> he's like an umbrella. Yeah. It's like a little, like, parasol. Yeah, he's trying to be all faux artsy. <laughs> a parasol. And the car they're driving, it's like, oh, I borrowed this from my, my brother-in-law's car lot. So you got to be careful. Don't drive so fast. And then they decide to just blow up the car. Yeah, they just blow it up. And the guy's like, fuck a dead duck! <laughs> he is not happy about this. And so they get to the sex scene, which does not look at all like the sex scene in the movie. I was going to say, I don't, recall this, I don't recall this scene in the movie. Because the scene that they shoot has the pictures flying off the wall, the ceiling crumbles in, he's just fucking her that hard. Which I'm pretty sure is a scene from a different Rudy Raymore movie. Because yeah, I didn't see it in our, at least in our cut. I don't know, maybe they cut the scene out of ours, but I didn't see it. Yeah, because he's having sex with a white woman, too. Yeah. And there's no scene like that in Dolomite. Again, unless, unless, unless it was edited, some, maybe someone who's a little bit more versed in the history of the movie. I don't know, maybe it was a cut scene. I don't, but... And so they, they finish... The funny. They finish the movie, they shoot their last scene, which is the one where he kills Derville. Yeah, they shoot that one last. Obviously, there's more after it in the movie, but they must have shot that before. Yeah, and Durville's like, okay, I'm out of here. This was the worst experience of my life. Fuck all you people. Goodbye. I'm going to go be in a real movie while he's like got his fake intestines like still hanging out of Yeah, he's just walking around holding these intestines, telling everybody, this this sucked. This was a miserable experience. I hated it. Goodbye. Yeah. But then everyone else, you know, turns to Rudy Mar- Raymore, who's like, that's a wrap. 
Because, well, the DP, Cody Smith McPhee, is like, you, you, you have to say that's a rap that makes it official. You have to say that's a rap. And so he's like, that's a rap. No, no, you have to say it like Dolomite. Yeah. And he goes, that's a motherfucking rap. Everyone cheers. And there's a long cut to black. And it's just a black screen for like 20 seconds. Yeah, it is a long black, long cut fade to black, isn't it? And we come back in and Rudy Ray Morp still living in the hotel, answers the phone with a producer. And he's trying to convince him that, yes, yes, it, this was a real movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he's struggling to find any kind of distribution. And so he's out on the road again doing his stand-up because he needs the money. And um, he's depressed about it, and he's doing a, a radio spot in Illinois where Chris Rock is the radio DJ interviewing him. Obviously another comedian with a lot of influence from him. Oh, yes. And so he's trying to tell him, he's like, hey, I hear there's a Dolomite movie. When are we going to see that? And he's like, I don't know. I don't think anybody ever will. No. Like, you got to tell us when it's coming out. I don't know. I don't know. And then Chris Rock goes to commercial and he's like, I'm trying to help you. You have to give me information here. And he's like, look, this movie's probably never coming out. Yeah. The, the Chris Rock's DJ is, he doesn't, he, he was expecting to get some like, Publicity, and it turns out like he thinks he thinks that Ruby Moore is like holding back on him, and it's just like literally, I don't have a publisher, I can't get this shit out. What the fuck am I supposed to do? And so Chris Rock is like, well, there's a theater here, just rent this theater and show it there. And um, as we learned, this is four wall distribution. Is that you? You buy the theater, well, you rent it for the night to air your movie, and you keep all of the box office. That's cool. I didn't even know that was a thing. That's really I neat. I saw it a lot more back then, especially during the rise of independent filmmaking in the 60s and 70s. You don't see it so much today, only with like really local things. And I'd imagine it's hard to do with all the big chains and stuff now. Yeah, like when Martha and I had that theater, it would have like little indie filmmakers rent it for a night to show their movie. Oh, that's cool. And, you know, they'd keep the box office, we'd keep the bar. And we'd usually end up on top. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hard to get butts in the seats. But not for Dolomite. Oh, no. That movie sells out. And he makes a killing. And so... Rudy Ray Moore is like, he's out there, you know, grassroots advertising, handed out flyers, like, trying to get people to come to a nightclub. Yeah, and um, Chris Rock continues promoting it, getting people down there. He's like, it's going to be like Christmas, only your daddy ain't drunk and your mama ain't crying. Yeah, I love it. And so they have their world premiere at this theater in Illinois, and it goes off amazing. Everyone loves the movie. It's sold out, and the producers are like, "Uh, yeah, we passed on it before, and now we want to get it back. And so he goes to have the meeting with the producers, with his crew, all dressed in character, by yeah, the way. Yeah, all in character. Uh, we got Queen Bee, Dolomites there, everybody's all all in character. And he tells them, you ain't finna do to me like they did to Chuck Berry. <laughs> Which, I guess that makes sense. I mean, I don't know the history, but I guess Chuck Berry got screwed out of a lot of royalties or something. I would imagine a lot of 
black performers during yeah well forever but especially early on i mean you don't really need to research to know that oh yeah a black performer in the 60s was screwed over by white probably people. screwed over by white people actually most musicians were screwed over by record producers and film producers and in the 90s in the uh, in the early parts of the now it's so easy to self-publish that doesn't happen and, as much I put on here that he's right about black distribution that it kept on. Th- oh, okay. Yeah. So the producers are like, there's this theater. They talk about, um, these theaters in these rundown communities that are actually like really historic theaters, really historic theaters that just fell on hard times and they're dilapidated. It's like they have this legacy, much like the Dunbar Hotel and that they're going to make yeah, this a lot theater. Of LA. Yeah. And, you know, and we, we can show movies like Dolomite there. And that... they're, they're like 2,000 seat theaters. They're like concert venues. It's like uh, some of these have been converted into others. Like the Palladium is now a, like a concert venue. But it's that was the sort of thing that would have been a movie theater in the turn of the century and stuff back in its early days. And he's basically describing what is black theater distribution because there were – black theaters that existed in LA at the time too. Even up until I left in the late nineties, there were still the, there were the magic Johnson theater chain. Huh? And there were a lot of movies that you could only see at those theaters. That's kind of cool. Oh, and they would be a blast to go to. A friend of mine went and saw, I know what you did last summer at one of those. Huh? And it's, huh. that's really cool. Did you ever see that Ralphie may bit where he's at a, Black Theater. I don't think so. And he describes the experience. Basically, imagine, um, you know the scene in Scary Movie where that girl's eating chicken and screaming at the movie? Yeah. Imagine that's the entire audience. Ah, that sounds like a lot of fun. It's a fucking blast. We saw I Know What You Did Last Summer in that environment. Oh, that seems like a good time. That seems like a hype crowd. See, that's the thing. It's like, you gotta have your hype crowd. That's the best. When you go to, you know, everyone says, oh, I don't like going to movie theaters, and it's like, oh, yeah, I just want, or the people who do is like, I like it so quiet. Like, no, fuck, I want to go on midnight showing. Yeah. To and, like, Star Wars, and have everybody be raucous and crazy, and have that kind of, like, going to a rock concert. That's the kind of experience I like. And there was a lot of those theaters in LA and New York. I know in LA, it was the Magic Johnson theater chain. I was like, what? Um, but they were these old, like, they looked like they were glitzy and glamorous in the 50s, but fell on hard times. There was one like that in New York, I went to all the time, too. Yeah, I think there for a while. We were well-traveled. That's where they're going to do Dolomite at this theater, and I can't remember what the theater's called. It has one of those names, like Orpheum or something. I think it might have been the Orpheum, in fact. And so on the way to the premiere... They're reading the reviews in the paper that none of them are good reviews. Probably written by white people. Yes, definitely. Well, that's who critics were. Critics, I know. And I've said this before. It's it's okay to be a movie critic, right? You have your certain view, but a lot of them just don't get it. They watch a movie, and they view it with the same lens as they view every other movie. Like, that's not how you watch movies, right? You can't watch Dolomite at the same level that you're gonna watch, you know, some Oscar nominee. It's like, like, what what was out in '75? Like, what was the big? Well, well, let let's actually see. What won Best Picture in '75? 
Let a taxi driver come out. Like that's... Oh, well, that's a bit different. The Best Picture nominees for 75 were The Godfather Part 2, Chinatown, The Conversation, Lenny, and The Towering Inferno. Okay, I mean, how do you, how do you like, oh, I'm going to compare this to Godfather 2 or fucking Chinatown? Yeah. Like, are you really going to compare Dolomite to those? It's not the same kind of movie. It's not trying to do the same thing. You had Blazing Saddles out that year, too, though. Yeah, I mean, Blazing Saddles, though, is, is, I mean, it's lowbrow, but it's, it's satire. It's... But that's 1970, the ones that actually would have been out the same year, uh-huh. would be the 1976 Academy Awards. So the movies that were out at the same time as Dolomite, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Barry Lyndon, the Kubrick movie, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, and fucking Nashville. <laughs> but again, I'm like, I, how do you compare it to like any of those? Yeah, it's not the same kind of movie. I don't go in and watch. You know, I I don't really like the Transformers movies, but you don't go and watch a Transformers movie and go, "This is going to be high art." You know, it's not going to fucking be high art. So try to stop trying to review it like it is. I just don't. It's like so myopic. The fucking critic view of it has to be a certain way. All right. Yeah. So they get to the premiere, and there's this huge, giant crowd. That it's like, we're going to have to do a midnight showing and a 2 a.m. showing, you know. Yeah, those guys are going to be there for a while. And so Rudy decides, he's like, I've seen the movie. I'm going to stay out here. and This crowd's going to have to stand out there until 2 a.m. to see the movie. And I care about them, you know, and I'm going to entertain this crowd for the next two hours. And that's what he does. He goes so they get a street, perf- yeah, street performance from Dolomite and... Uh... Um, and he, he raps with that little kid. Yeah. That's like his biggest fan. And they have a little rap. And that kid would grow up to be Kanye West. <laughs> no. Um, and he ends on the closing line where he tells them, live the life that you love and love the life that you live. Which really sums up the whole theme of the movie. Yeah. One movie that I can really, really compare this to is Ed Wood. You know, I have not... Edward. Oh, you have to. But you know the story of it, because Edward was this terrible, terrible filmmaker, but he was so passionate about it, and he got his his group of friends, and they did everything they could to make this movie. Only Edward doesn't have a happy ending. <laughs> yep. <laughs> My wife's over there in the corner, whispering, it's so good. <laughs> Edward is a great movie. It's, it's like the last great Burton film, which is weird, because I watched two Burton movies back-to-back last night. <laughs> Which one should you watch? Uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice. Oh, I love Beetlejuice. Mm-hmm. But no, this movie, Dolomite, definitely is comparable to Ed Wood. Is that it's a really great film about making exploitation films. Because that's what Ed Wood was doing, too. He didn't stand by his work was going to win Oscars. Right. Edward was like, oh no, this movie has zombies and aliens. It's what people want to see. Let's make it. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, the critical response. One of the, one of the critics compared it to like disaster artists is what I did. And one of them compared it to Edward is what you did. Yeah. It really does compare to both of those. Not disaster artist is interesting because, uh, what's Tommy was so thinks he's making a great film. Right. That's going to like change people's lives or some shit. And, um, Tommy Wiseau is Tommy Wiseau. Yeah, but 
Rudy Raymore knows what he's making. Yeah. Unlike Tommy Wiseau, who had no fucking clue what he... Well, Rudy Raymore also had no clue what he was going in, and he explains that. He's like, we don't know what we're doing, but we're just gonna do it. And it's, it's interesting about the disaster artist is it has kind of the same sort of feel good ending where, you know, they're in the theater, everyone's enjoying it. Maybe it's not for, for Tommy Wiseau. It's not necessarily the reaction that he wanted. Yeah. And, but his movie actually made an impact on people. We still talk about it. You know, people enjoy it. And what I said about those theaters, that's exactly the theater here in where they show Dolomite because that audience is, into it they are shouting and clapping they're cheering at the screen they're shouting back at it it's like a midnight showing of a movie nobody's seen yet yeah it's it's great dolomite's my name a wonderful movie it did get awards i think this is the only yes. time i'll have a award-winning film award winner movie. on air <laughs> yeah. yeah well you know um varsity blues won kids choice awards <laughs> but uh, do we really count those as awards no. I didn't know that the Golden Raspberry Award's a Razzie Redeemer Award. Oh, did this win a Razzie Redeemer for Murphy? Yeah. Because he was coming off just a string. Yeah, he won it. Yeah, he won it. (laughs) He won that for for this. Yeah, well, he won Golden Globes for Best Actor. Well, nominated. Yeah, this is a highly reviewed. People love this movie. It's great. Absolutely. I don't even think you have to see the movie. Uh, My wife watched it with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, she didn't see. She watched bits as I was watching Dolomite, but and she she loved it. So I don't think you have to have seen Dolomite to love this movie. It is so the the process, the performances. It's just so fun. It's so well done. It is. It's a wonderful movie. Definitely recommend. Oh, it's yeah. It's so good. So next week we're we're watching another classic <laughs> Oscar winning Oscar winning movie. No. Anaconda. Stars Star, has a has some Oscar uh, caliber actors in it, slumming it. Well, I John Void, maybe I, he won an Oscar for a movie. J Lo, I don't think ever did though. But yeah, we're watching Anaconda next week. Yeah, it's it's Anaconda. Yeah. Um. Oh, it did win awards. It won Raspberry. Oh, and it was nominated for just about every single Golden Raspberry Award. As it should. Yep. So next week, Anaconda, we will catch you then. Yep. It'll be good. Big special thanks to, well, nobody. We didn't play advertisements this episode. Special thanks to Rudy Ray Moore for being fucking awesome. Yes. Big special thanks to Rudy Ray Moore for being fucking awesome. Make sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what we do, make sure to leave a review to let others know. Help get the word out. For more episodes, check out our website, exploititpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter, at podcastexploit, or on Instagram, at exploititpodcast, or contact us at exploititpodcast at gmail.com. Join us next time for Anaconda. There's snakes out there this big. All right, that's a wrap. That's a motherfucking wrap. Hamburger pimp. Say hamburger pimp.